This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Now as regards the totality of the tense Spirit as they appear in the soul of man it is known to all that the emotive attributes divide into seven general categories, and each of the particular attributes in man derives from one of these seven attributes. For they are the root of all the attributes in their generality, namely the, the attribute of chesed, love and kindness, which is a thrust to diffuse benevolence to all without limit. The attribute of gervura, stern limitation and contraction, which seeks to restrain such a degree of diffusion or to withhold diffusion altogether from certain individuals, and the attribute of rachamim, compassion, which seeks to pity a person to whom compassion is appropriate and to extend benevolence to him as well, although he may be unworthy of it. Chesed, kindness, a person who's kind. It's kind to everyone. It's really, it's more about the person who's doing the kindness than it is the person who's receiving the kindness. A kind person is a loving, giving person. Loves to give. Loves to love. It's about him. It's in self-expression. It's an expression of me. It's not, it's not about the person who's receiving. Whether the per- Maybe the person who's receiving it doesn't need it. But I still want to act kindly to you. You don't even need it. I'm still going to give you a bonus. I'm still going to act kindly. Not because it's nothing to do with you. It's an expression of me. I'm just a loving, generous, giving person. The love flows. The energy flows. I give it easily. I give it willingly. I, in abundance. That's, an attribute, that's the attribute of chesed. Gevura is the exact opposite. Gevura is the break. Gevura is to limit, to restrain, being careful. I have to give it, I'm only going to give to someone who's worthy. I'm not going to give without any, indiscriminately. I have to, a person has to earn it, a person has to deserve it. I'm not just giving without any calculation, I'm giving with a, the person earns it and deserves it. And sometimes I completely refrain from giving. Not appropriate. It's not the right time for kindness. You have to be tough. So, Gavura is the exact opposite impulse. It's the ability to refrain, restrain, it's the ability to limit. And then you have the intermediary. What is the intermediary? Intermediary is compassion. Compassion is not chesed. It's not giving indiscriminately. Rachmanus means 
you have mercy, you have compassion on someone who needs mercy. Someone who doesn't need mercy, you don't have pity on. You pity someone who's, who's pitiable. Someone who's, who doesn't need pity, you don't pity. But someone who's pitiable, so you have pity on him. So even though he doesn't deserve to get it, and even though there's arguments from Gevura that says, don't give it, but you have Rachmanus. Yes, you're right, he doesn't deserve it. But nevertheless, let's give, let's act with mercy. So that's an intermediate between chesed and gevur. It's not indiscriminate giving like chesed, but it's not, it doesn't restrain and withhold like gevur. It's in, somewhere in between, intermediate. As we learned in the previous letter, it gets everyone, everyone on, on board. There's no argument to compassion. Chesed has an argument. Gavura. Gavura has an argument. Chesed. But to, to Rachmanus, there is no argument. Because what's the argument? He doesn't deserve? I agree. He doesn't deserve. But give it to him anyway. Have Rachmanus. Have mercy. Have compassion. He's a human being. So this is the reconciler. This is the reconciliation. The in-between and the peacemaker that bridges and merges chesed and gevurah together. Mixes chesed and gevurah together. It has the restriction of gevurah. It's not giving indiscriminately. But it also has the giving nature of chesed that even if, if a person is, uh, who needs pity, have pity on them and give it to them even if they don't deserve. So give it to them. is the mediating attribute between Gavur and Chesed, the latter of which would diffuse benevolence to all, even to a person to whom compassion is not at all appropriate, inasmuch as he lacks nothing and is in no state of trouble, whatever. Because the attribute of Chesed is unlimited, it desires to benefit even someone who lacks nothing. The attribute of Rachman, by contrast, being also compounded of Gavura, will not seek to diffuse indiscriminately. At the same time, Rachman pleads the cause of any individual who is in a pitiable state, however unworthy he may be. Because the attribute of Rachamim is the mediating attribute, it is called the ferret, beauty, by analogy with beautiful garments, which are dyed with many colors, blended in a way that gives rise to beauty and decoration. So chesed gives to someone even if he's lacking in nothing. There's no need to give him. He has no need. But I want to give him anyway. It's, it's about me. I want to give him. Rachmanas, compassion, pity, is only to someone who's pitiable, someone who's in need of pity. Even if he's unworthy, he argues the case. We should give it to him anyway. And it reconciles these two opposites, chesed and gavura, brings them, merges them and brings them together. And that's why it's called teferis. To a garment dyed in one color, however, one cannot apply the term teferet, which implies the beauty of harmony. And since the attribute of rachamin is com- compounded of chesed and gavura, the term teferet is appropriate. So these three, chesed, gavura, teferet, which are the primary emotions, which all reside in the heart, these characterize the person himself. I am a loving and giving person. I am a strict person. I am a compassionate person. 
So all of these are what's going on in my own heart. My desire to give, my energy and desire to give, my love, or my fire, my restraint, or my compassion. So this is, has nothing to do re- yet with the person who's at the receiving end. Right now it's all about me. It's my reaction to the world around me, to those outside of me that I want to give, want to be benevolent, I want to befriend, I want to shower them with my love, with my goodness, with my kindness. But it's all about my personal relation and reaction to the world around me. It characterizes me. Then comes the result. Okay, as a result, now I have to move to action. Now I have to start taking into consideration the object of my desire. Okay, I love them and I want to give them. So now I have to figure out how am I going to give them? Practically implementing this love. Taking it from the emotion to the action. So these are the offshoots of chesed and gevura and teferes. Um, and these are, the emo- these are the attributes of netzach and hoid and yesoid, which he's now going to describe. Afterward, once the attribute of either chesed, gevura, or teferes is aroused to dispense benevolence as the diffusion is realized, that is, at the time of the actual diffusion, it is necessary to deliberate how to diffuse in such a way that the recipient will be able to absorb the effusion. So now this is already consulting with yourself, advising yourself. How am I going to do this? What's the wisest way to do this? How am I going to get this done? How do I give and give in a way that the recipient could receive it? And he uses an analogy, for example. For example, when one wishes, and this is a powerful desire, to convey and reach an intellectual subject to his son. So this is the love that's motivating him and driving him. He loves his child and he wants to teach his child, wants to convey this wisdom. So now he has a practical dilemma, practical consideration. If he will tell it to him in its totality, just as it appears in his own mind, the son will be unable to understand and to absorb it. This could happen either because the concept as understood by the father is too abstract and subtle for the son and needs to be lent a more tangible garb, such as a parable, or because the concept is too comprehensive and too diverse and needs to be broken down into digestible segments, only some of which will be presented to the staff. If a teacher tries to overwhelm a student, or if you try to overwhelm someone who's not capable, not, not only aren't you helping them, you can actually destroy their mind. You know, people who ended up in university because of some program, but they really didn't belong there, not only weren't they be doing, not only didn't anyone do them any favors, they actually des- destroyed them. Because it's like taking a first grader and putting him in fifth grade. You haven't helped the child, you destroyed the child. Because he's completely lost. 
He's here in concepts that he can't even begin to grasp. He's a first grader. Yeah? He, can't, he can't jump to fifth grade before you go through all the steps, first and second and third and fourth. So if you overwhelm the child, you're just going to destroy his mind and destroy his ability to even think and to even understand those things that he was formerly capable of understanding. So if the father, out of his love for his child, wants to share with him his brilliance and his wisdom and his intelligence and his insights... He's going to overwhelm the poor kid. So the father has to think very, very judiciously, very carefully. How do I get this idea across to my child in a way that my child could appreciate it, understand it, get it? And it it should really register in his mind. It should really help him open up his mind, help him understand, and help, help him look at this world in a certain way and help him, to help him develop his mind even further. So you have to be very, very judicious how you teach him, what you teach him. So what the father has to do, he has to take this idea. And he has to really, really think very, very hard. And that's really what edu- education, good education is all about. There are many brilliant, brilliant minds, but they're not good teachers. They're lousy teachers because they can't connect with the students. They don't know how to convey these, these brilliant ideas. They don't know how to convey it. It goes way over the head of the students, or they completely confuse the students. And the students get nothing out of it. If any, anything, it's completely counterproductive. So a good teacher is not necessarily the most brilliant mind, but a good teacher is someone who really thinks about the student knows where the student is at, knows how to reach the student, knows how to get to the student, knows how to intrigue the student, knows the amount of information the student can handle, what they could appreciate, and how to help them develop their minds and to further, to help them progress. So this takes a lot of wisdom. A lot of, you have to be very judicial, you have to think about it very carefully. So it's not enough to figure something out. There's a brilliant mind who can figure things out. He has a mind, he can figure the most complex things, he can work it out, figure it out, and understand it clearly. He understands it clearly. He has a brilliant mind, and the proof is he's able to understand even the very puzzling things, he's able to figure it out. But that's not the same quality of being able to take that idea, that deep idea, and to explain it to a simple person, on a simple level. That's a whole different quality, it's a whole different ability. And that's the ability of the soul, that's what we call netzach and hoid. These are the, that's like the judicial part within us. It gives us a device on how to figure it out, how to implement. Because of the love of my child, I want to teach him the, the ideas that I have, my insights. But now I have to use practical, find practical ways how to reach my child, how to get to him in a way that he should understand, that should benefit him. So in a way, I have to forget about myself and really focus on the child. Focus, how do I break down this idea in a way that's manageable? You know, to the, to the teacher, to the parent, to the adult, the whole idea is one brilliant insight. But in order to explain it to the child, I have to break it down into little pieces. Like feeding a baby, you have to 
break it down into, you have to mash it up, you have to break it down into baby food. So you have to take this brilliant idea and break it down into pieces. You know, and when you break it down, it may end up a whole book, it may end up being a whole book. It needs many paragraphs and many chapters and many sections to explain this one idea. In the mind of the teacher, it's just one flash, it's one insight, it's one concept. He doesn't need to break it down in so many words. But I'll just go right, go right over the head of the student. You have to break it down into manageable bites, little bits, little pieces. The student can take one little bit at a time, chew it, digest it, and move on to the next bit. And slowly but surely, you, have to, you can feed him the idea, but in very small bites. So this takes, this takes a lot of judicious thinking. You have to really... It's, it's a skill. Education is a skill. To communicate is a skill. This is about communicating. Getting across your point, but you're getting it across from an adult to a child, from the teacher to the student. They're worlds apart. How do you get from here to there? If, you, if it came direct, undiluted, you've lost the child. You've destroyed the child child feels terrible. He feels like an idiot. He feels like he can't understand a word that you're saying. So his conclusion is, I must be dumb. So completely he loses confidence. He loses self-confidence. It'll destroy him. Instead of building him up and showing him how his potential, how, how intelligent he is, and eventually he can grow to be that adult and grow to be that like on the level of the teacher. So you have to build up his confidence. You have to show him that he could grasp an idea and he could advance and he could get excited about understanding a concept on his level and slowly but surely build him up. So this is a skill. This is a tremendous skill. Education, communication, breaking it down. That's why in business, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a whole skill to be able to communicate to the customer from the brilliant idea and concept and laboratory to be able to communicate it and it's a whole different skill set. Not necessarily the brilliant mind who can grasp a concept. It's not necessarily the one who is qualified, who has those skills to be able to take the idea and break it down and to teach it and to communicate it in a way that will excite and reach the student and enable them and help them and build up their confidence and build up their, you know, until they reach the level where they can step in the shoes of the teacher. Rather, one needs to arrange it for him in a different order and context, such as by providing an example from an alternative context. Every word fitly spoken, presenting first one side of the issue at hand and then the other, little by little, a little of the concept at a time. The concept thus needs to, to contrast with regard to its length, by lowering its stature until it is within the grasp of the recipient, and with regards to its breadth, by reducing its manifold details to match the capacity of the son or the student. This deliberation regarding how best to present the concept is referred to by the term netzach. These attributes are the kidneys that advise in a manner similar to their physical counterparts. And they are also, in spiritual terms, the two testicles that prepare the spermatozoa, 
like the physical counterpart, the attributes of meta and more adapt the diffusion of the concept, i.e. the drop that issues from the brain. Just like in the physical sense, the, the sperm originates in the mind, but it originates through the spine, but it's more like in, in, the, in the spiritual sense that the source of the sperm originates from the mind and works through the spine, and then ultimately it comes out in the physical form, which gives birth. So too in the spiritual sense, that's just like a manifestation of, of what takes place in the spiritual sense, that to take an idea, to take a concept which is abstract and subtle and profound and abstract, and to concretize it, to be able to bring it down on a level which can really give birth, which can really have an impact, really hit home. You really have to concretize it. So you take the idea, which is subtle and abstract, and you transform it. You have to transform the idea into something physical. So you have to use analogies. You have to bring it down into the world of this child, of the student, into his world parables, analogies, illustrations in his world so he can understand and appreciate it. And this is a very special ability. Just like only an adult can give birth. Children can give birth. It's a sign of maturity. So the truth is only the master can really communicate. Einstein could explain himself to a five-year-old child because he's Einstein the highfalutin professor in Columbia University, he can only talk in abstract language and no one understands, and barely he understands, it's because he does, he's not the master. But anyone who's a true master could take the deepest ideas, the most abstract ideas, and bring it down in such a concrete way, in such a practical way, which seemingly there's no connection to the idea, and could explain it in anyone's world, and enter into anyone's world and explain it. Someone who's not the master is limited. He can only speak in abstractions. He's limited. He can only speak in his own rarefied world. But he can't bring down that brilliance to a simple, on a simple level. But someone who's a true master can take this abstract idea and bring it down in the most concrete way and enter into anyone's world and find in your world the analogies and the similes that you'll get what he's talking about. You'll understand and appreciate the idea that he's trying to convey. He's able to concretize it. So this is the process of netzach and hoid, which are like the kidneys that are devised. Like we say, like a, almost like a gut knowledge. There's a lot of wisdom in the gut. The ability to take an abstract idea and to really bring it down in a very concrete way. So it's a, it's a very special it's a very special skill. And that's the next process. That's the next step in the process to get from the mind through the heart because the heart is what motivates you to want to give, to want to teach. You want to share. Out of your love for your child, you want to share. A teacher wants to share his wisdom, so he wants to give. He wants to give something that's precious to him. What's more precious than his idea that he figured out, that he, his concept, his deep, profound, brilliant concept that he worked on? He wants to share it. But how, how is he going to share it? With the child, with the student. 
So he has to go through this process. So, so this process is on the lower level of the heart. This is already the kidneys. This is the, the guts, the kidneys. It's, it's taking this abstract idea and concretizing it, breaking it down, drawing it down, which enables it to be able to communicate this idea, enables the teacher to be able to communicate the idea in a very practical way. To drop the dishes from the brain. That is, they adapt an intellectual subject deriving from the father's mind in such a way that it will not issue unmodified, that is, as a very subtle concept in his brain and intellect, but that it changed somewhat from the subtlety of his intelligence to become a somewhat less subtle concept, so that the son will be able to absorb it in his mind and understanding. This is truly analogous to the seminal drop which descends from the brain. It is extremely tenuous, and through the, the kidneys and the two testicles, it becomes truly concrete and corporeal. This process parallels the progressive concretization of a concept as it descends to match the capacity of the recipient. The Alter Rebbe now speaks of yet another function of the attributes of Netzach and Hod, separating a concept into its various components. So till now we explained the process of concretizing it, of bringing it down into the world of the child, of the student. And even that's too intense and too powerful for the child to absorb. So for the child to absorb, you have to break that down into little, little pieces, little bites that he can nibble on and chew on and digest. Even this idea, as it's been concretized, also has to be broken down. And give it to him slowly, one step at a time. And you have to build it up until he can grasp the whole idea. Because just taking the whole idea is too much. So you have to give him a little at a time. And that's the other function of Netzach and Hoyd. Netzach and Hoyd are also referred to as grinders and millstones because they grind the mana from the righteous. Like the heaven, which is named Shkakin, uh, where it grinds the mana for the righteous. Just as by, the, by way of example, a person who grinds wheat with millstones crumbles it into very fine parts. So too, does the father need to taper the insight or the intellectual subject he wishes to convey to his son and to divide them into many parts, relating them to him gradually with devices and discernment? Dividing a concept in this way so as to be able to determine what should be presented and what should be withheld is a contraction of the concept's depth. Thus, Netzach and Hod serves to contract its length, breadth, and depth, the concept in all its dimensions. It's also deciding very judiciously what to reveal, what not to reveal, what comes first, how to break it down, what to hold back because you can't give it you can't com- convey the concept in its depth in its breadth in its width it's too overwhelming for the, for the student for the child so you have to decide what the child could handle what the child can handle so this takes a lot of, lot of effort it takes a lot of wisdom it takes a lot of thought and it's something that you have to decide in your guts, in your kishkas. You have to work it out, figure it out. 
what you do give, what you want to give, what you don't want to, what you can't give, what's too much, what's too little. You don't, you don't want to overwhelm the child. Yes, you want to give him everything. You love the child. But you know it's not good for the child. You'll give him everything, it's going to be, it'll backfire, be counterproductive. So you have to very judiciously decide what I will share, what I won't share, what I'll hold back, which parts they can handle, which parts they can, what they could grasp, what they can grasp. And then the child will benefit from something that's well thought out. You know, you're not just speaking off, you're not just shooting from your hip, you're not just speaking off the top of your head, you're just, you know, emotionally and just sharing with them and just dumping on them. You know, you can dump your child, you'd overload them, overwhelm them with information they just can't handle. It's not a, love, not a very loving thing to do. The motivation is, is good, but you're not helping them. So the truly wise thing is to really process it. And there are no shortcuts. You really have to chew it over. You have to think about it. You have to let it settle in. And after the initial impulse and love and the burst, okay, I want to give, I want to... Wait a minute. You have to process it. You know, yeah, it's like raw material. To take that raw material, you have to manufacture it. You have to... And, you got, and then you've got to package it. You can't just raw. What are you going to do with raw material? You have to present it. You have to package it. You have to decide. So it takes a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of... Um, it's a process. And then he adds another dimension also. The category of Netzach also comprises prevailing and standing up against anything from within or from without that withholds from his son the transmission of beneficial influence or learning. From within means firmly resisting the attributes of you and within the father himself, for it arouses within his will contentions against his son, arguing that he is not yet fit for this profound knowledge. There now follows a parenthetical note in the text which states, i.e., according to some of the manuscripts which were compared to the previous printed editions of the Gareth HaKodesh, when the current edition was being prepared for publication, there is okay, a yeah, yeah. in the text. Netzach also means to forge ahead, to be competitive, to win. Because once you decide to shear, there are obstacles from within and from without. You have your own inner doubts. Maybe it's too much. Maybe I shouldn't be sharing this with my child. Maybe he's not ready yet. Maybe he's not worthy. So you have inner doubts. And then you have obstacles from, from without. There are others who tell you that maybe it's not the right thing. So you have to overcome. It's not, never clear-cut. You have to overcome your inner doubts and move forward. So that's also part of the attribute of Netzach to overcome all those, all those inner doubts. Now, he doesn't explain what Hoyd is in that sense. Hoyd is like the brake. If Netzach is the accelerator, Hoyd is like the brake. Netzach says, go forward, move forward. Netzach is the right leg, move forward. You, you start walking with your right leg and you stop with your left leg. Left leg is, is on the brake. Stop. 
too much. You can overwhelm them. And it's this balance between the two. If you're just going to press your foot on the accelerator, (laughs) if you never break, that could lead to disaster. And if you only keep your foot on the brake, you'll never, you'll never go anywhere. So you have to have a very judicial balance. Brake, stop, brake, know when to accelerate, know when to stop. So it's this interplay and this balance between the two that makes for a safe journey, makes for a pleasant ride. If you have an exaggerated too much of one, or you're constantly braking and stopping, it's, I don't know if you've ever been to some cab rides, <laughs> it's, it's a very unpleasant experience. So this take, you have to be very judicious. You have to have a very good balance. You have to know when to accelerate, know when to brake, know when to overcome any doubts and go forward and you know swallow any doubts and just, just continue forward and err on the side of giving and sharing. And on the other hand, you can't go overboard. You have to know when, when to stop. So these are the attributes. This is all going on within the parent. This is all within the person. This whole back and forth, breaking it down and internalizing it and breaking it up into parts and overcoming any inner obstacle, this is all going on inside of you, in your guts. You're working this all out within you. The product has not yet been rolled out into the market. The child doesn't come into play yet. He's not present. It's all you're sitting alone and you're figuring out. First you're figuring out the idea, the brilliant insight. Then your heart, you love your child, you want to share this brilliant concept with the child. And then comes the guts and the kidneys and the, 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 this, this judicious uh, advice that you're giving to yourself. Should I give? How should I give it? How should I break it down? How should I explain it? How should I give it in a way that my child can handle it? All of this is happening within you. Now comes the next step, which is where the child comes into focus. Dr. Rabinah goes on to explain the attribute of Yosoid. The category of Yosoid is by way of example, the bond by which the father binds his intellect to the intellect of his son, while teaching him with love and willingness that he wishes his son to understand. This is already the personal connection. This is like... uh, Charisma, you know, it's something intangible, but this is what connects and draws the teacher to the student, the student to the teacher. You saw it as that connection. It's that love and that bond, that bonding between the teacher and the student, the father and his child, the parent and the child. It's that personal bonding. It's it's that connecting to the child not just conveying an idea not like one brain talking to the other brain it's connecting to the child to the person it's the person person to person it's, it's getting to in, under the skin of the child it's getting it's connecting every fiber of your being to every fiber of the being of the child it's that personal intimate touch it's that chemistry the chemistry that connects the teacher and the student the parent and the child and 
Because he says, otherwise, if it's, just, it's not just a communication of ideas. Communication of ideas can be very impersonal. You can, you can hear an idea from, from a tape recorder. You can listen online. If, could you compare a class online, class that's in person? It's face-to-face, person-to-person. But there's a relationship. There has to be a relationship between the teacher and the student. The, the parent and the child is a personal relationship. I feel the child, and the child feels the parent. Every fiber of his being, every bone in his body. And that's the conduit for the wisdom to go in, and to go in very deep. You can't compare it to, to, to learning on, on, online, impersonal. The teacher doesn't know me, I don't know the teacher. It's the same information. And the teacher loves the information, and he's teaching the information. But he doesn't love me, he doesn't know me. It's not the same. It's that personal bond where the customer connects with the seller. <laughs> it's that personal bond. That loyalty, that uh, personal connection. That's priceless. Without that, you can have all of the above, but you're missing a major ingredient. There's no connection. It doesn't fit. It doesn't go in well. It doesn't... So you have the brilliance and you have the love and you have the even figured out how to break it down. And But if there's no personal bond, there's no personal connection, it's not intimate and personal and, and there's no real communication. All that brilliance just gets lost. It doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't have the same effect. So this, is, this is critical key to everything it's the yesoid and this is where the child comes in. up until this point it was all internal it was all going on within the parent within the teacher now yesoid is, is when the parent makes the connection with the child is sitting face to face with the child and the child feels that personal connection feels the relationship feels the chemistry, feels the intimacy, feels that connection. So this is the connector. Without a connector, there's no transmission. So it's very intangible. Charisma is very intangible. But some people have it, some people don't. That's why some people are excellent teachers. We all have, we're all fortunate at least to have one teacher in our life that we'll never forget. What did they have that other teachers didn't have? Other teachers are just as brilliant. Obviously, they're teaching, so they love. They want to teach. They want to share. They may even be good educators. They may even know how to explain it. What they're missing is there's no chemistry. There's no charisma. There's no personality. There's no relationship. There's no, it doesn't connect. There's no connection. Then it doesn't work. Yes, you hear great ideas and great concepts, but it doesn't penetrate. It doesn't, doesn't sink in. It doesn't go. It doesn't have the same impact. It doesn't have the same effect. This is priceless. Those leaders who have that intangible chemistry, they have, have that uh, charisma, they have that chemistry, that connection, able to connect with the audiences, able to 
it hits home. Whatever they say resonates. It's not just hearing an idea, an interesting idea. I can hear it, I can hear it off the internet. But it resonates with you. It's like speaking to me personally. And then I absorb the idea with every fiber of my being, every bone of my body. I'm not just hearing an idea. It's like I'm swallowing it up. I'm becoming one with the idea. It's, it's a whole different communication. It's a whole different... So this is what establishes that connection, that bond. That's the yusoyed. It's like when you date, you know, you have a perfect, someone, someone could be perfect on paper, but there's no chemistry. It's very nice, but there's no, there's no, it doesn't resonate, no chemistry, nothing personal, no relationship, no connection, no. It doesn't move me, it doesn't stir me, it doesn't. This intangible is priceless. This is the key. This is what unlocks everything else. This is the connector between the teacher and the, and the, and the, and the child, between the parent and the child. So because it's a parent, because it's a child, that's why there's this yisoy, this, this connection. Without this bond, even if the son would hear the very same words from the mouth of his father, because he speaks and studies to himself. Let's say he was, oh, he, was, he was overhearing. His father's studying in his library, and he's studying out loud, and he's hearing a nice idea. He would not understand them as well as now. When his father binds his intellect to him and speaks with him face to face, with love and desire, because he desires very much that his son understand. Father does not merely want to enlighten his son. His desire stemming from your soul is powerful because it is driven by pleasure. When he's speaking to him face to face, and he has this tremendous, tremendous desire that his child should understand this idea, that ignites the child. That sets the child on fire. The child suddenly becomes a receptacle. He becomes receptive. He's open to receive. He wants to receive, and he receives it so deeply. And it really penetrates and it impacts him and it has influences because he's receiving it. It's a total reception that opens him up because the parent is sitting there face to face, is looking at him and has such a desire, wants to, loves him so much, and cares about him so much, and connects with him so much. Wants him, wants to transmit this idea to person to person. This opens up the child. He says in one in one uh, version, this is omitted, is taken out because it's not enough that the father sits there. It's if the father has that attribute of yisoid. You have to have a highly developed attribute of yisoid. Just like some people excel, some people are creative, some people are analytical, some people are decisive, different types of minds, different types of brains. Some people are loving, some people are strict, some people are compassionate. So too, there are some people that have uh, are highly competitive. Some people have the attribute of hoid. Some people have a highly developed attribute of yisoyit. They just have a lot of charisma. They just have that ability to connect. It's just very highly developed within them. They were just born with it or highly developed. So it's not enough that any parent is sitting with his child. It's a parent that also has this highly developed sense of Yisoyed and has this tremendous charisma and connection and chemistry and wants to give to his child. He will be most effective. More than just any other parent. Within the parent itself, it's a parent who has this attribute of Yisoyed. 
he will be tremendously successful in communicating and conveying and reaching and inspiring his child. And the greater the desire and the light of the father, the greater is the influence and the learning. Because then the son is able to absorb more and the father communicates more. So it's two ways. Firstly, the chi- it opens up the child. The child opens up and is able to absorb and receive more. And also the father also gives more. Where through the desire and delight and with a contented disposition, his own insight is heightened and amplified so that he can bestow enlightenment upon his son and teach him. This parallels to draw a metaphor from the attribute of Yisod in the sphere of the truly physical, the profusion of the spermatozoa that results from the heightened desire and delight, through which much is elicited from the brain, which is its source. This is why the Kabbalists, seeking to illustrate imparting of knowledge out of a sense of pleasure, use the analogy of a physical union, for there are a number of similarities between these two expressions of the attribute of Yisod, as will be explained. So Yisod in the physical corresponds to the male organ. So what's true in the physical is also true in the, in the spiritual. It's, a, it's parallel. Just like in the physical, the more delight and pleasure, so the more it draws from the mind, then the more it will affect actually the child in a good way, in a positive way. So too, the more chemistry and the more charisma and the more intimate and the more desire and pleasure the parent has for the child to teach him and to convey and to, to communicate and to give him the more his mind will open up, the parent's mind will open up, and will enable him to draw down even deeper from his own mind, so that the, what he's transmitting will also be in a much deeper level, a much more profound level, a much greater level, and have a much greater impact and influence. So this is really the key. It's the insight. It's the, that's the connector. And just like Yisoyed is the bridge between the giver and the receiver. Everything is conveyed through the Yisoyed. You give birth physically to a child, you give everything to the child. In that sperm, the whole entire being is conveyed. Your mind, your heart, your subconscious, all your talents, all your abilities, your essence your core, everything. Everything is contained. Just like at the moment of intimacy, it involves, engages you, every fiber of your being, every bone in your body, you're 100% there, present. You can't be 99.9% present. To be intimate, you must be 100% present, physically, consciously, emotionally, psychologically, mentally, spiritually, subconsciously. Every fiber, every part of you is 100% present and concentrated at that moment. So what you convey is you're conveying your essence. And that's why you give birth to a child, your child, that carries your essence. You give everything that you have to your child. So it's the connector. It's the connector between the giver and the receiver. That's why the Kabbalists refer to Yisoyed as the connector between heaven and earth.
because it's that's the that's the bridge that's the connection between the giver the whole giver is concentrated at that moment in the in the yisoid and that's transmitted to, to the receiver so too in the analogy is explaining here in the, in the conveying of an idea in the conveying of this, transmitting this idea this is the key this is really the key that unlocks everything this is this is the most critical component you can have everything but if you don't have the yisoid it's lame it's not the same it doesn't have the same effect so uh, what about the woman I mean does does the woman have this similar yisoid no she's the receiver She's the one who receives, and she's she's the creator. (laughs) She takes this, uh, you say, she takes the sperm, she creates, she gives birth to the child. That's why it's her child. But it's all contained in that seed. But she is adding her own brilliance, or, uh, you know, the way we've talked about uh, from the mind, you know. Well, in other words, it's all in the the receiving, in the mockery, so to speak. I know you'll get there, but I mean, it's right. all in, the, in other words, whatever she's going to impart upon this sperm, let's say, is coming from uh, from uh, the receiver at that point in time. Not everything that you're talking about. Well, well, it takes two to tango, and that's why uh, the child is a combination of the mother and the father, because both the mother and the father give the child everything that they have. But the form, the way it's given, and the, in the, the the male gives it in the form of of giving, and she gives it in the form of receiving and creating. When, and when he gives, he's giving of himself entirely. He's giving his whole essence. It's concentrated in that seed, and that moment. So this is the connector between the giver and the receiver, everything that's been going on within, up until that point, everything that's been going on, the, the intellect, the idea, and then the love, and then the uh, figuring out how to break it down in a way that the child could receive it, all of that is dependent, and this is the most critical part, dependent on this attribute of Yisrael on the connection, on the personal connection. The parent connects with the child. It's an intangible connection. It's a chemistry. It's intangible. It's more than just... It, it contains the, the, the pleasure, the pleasure that the parent has, the desire the pla- parent has in his child. And he wants to give to his child. And he wants to convey and share with him everything that he has with the child. That intangible, the pleasure and the desire and the connection, and the f- it's more than just feeling. It's so much deeper than just emotion. Love. Love is easily characterized. I can define it. I love, I hate. I can put it into words. You're dealing with something that's much deeper than words. It's like the act of intimacy. It's deeper than words. It's, it's, it's every fiber of your being, every bone in your body. It's, it's, it's an act of pleasure. It's, 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 it resonates with every part of you. This is a that personal connection that the parent has with the child. It's beyond words. It's, it's, it's the desire that you have to give to your child, to give everything that you have to your child. It's that intangible, that chemistry, that connection. That, that creates 
the environment that enables the child to absorb and enables you and opens you up to give the child everything that you have from the deepest recesses of your being, of your mind, to be able to convey that and to pass it along to your child. Then it penetrates and it enters into your child in a whole different way. It impacts your child in a whole different way. He's not just listening. It's not a superficial listening. He takes it in. He absorbs it. It becomes one with it. That's a real transmission. That's a real education. That's why he's using the analogy of a parent and a child. It's rare to find a teacher like that. <laughs> Try to find a teacher that has that chemistry and that personal connection with the students. If, you had a, if we have a teacher like that, wow, we're lucky. But that's a, a Rebbe and a Chassid. A Rebbe, that's the, there's a chemistry there. It's not that a Rebbe is sitting there and talking brilliant and conveying, communicating brilliant ideas. There's a personal relationship between the Rebbe and the Chassid. And the Rebbe loves the Chassid with every fiber of his being, every bone in his body, and wants to transmit, and wants to enlighten the Chassid, and wants to give him all of his richness, and all of his depth, and all of his enlightenment. He wants to share that. He wants to transmit that to the Chassid. So when the Rebbe is fabringing, and he's talking to you, and he's looking you in the eye, and it, it's a personal communication. It's a fabringing. It's not just an impersonal imparting of brilliant ideas. It doesn't have the same effect. That's very lame. It's the person to person. It's that intimate touch. That's why the Hasidim were very upset in the printing of the Tanya. Because they felt it can't, it's not a right good substitute for Yechidus, private audience he had with the Rebbe. The Rebbe would speak to you face to face. How could you compare? You know, every one of the Rebbe's represented a different attribute. The Baal Shem Tev was Atik, pleasure. Arich, Rotten, there was the Magid. The Alter Rebbe was Chachma, wisdom. Rabbi Dover was Bina. And tonight is the yard site of the Rebbe, Rebbe Chaya Mushka, the Rebbe's wife, who's a daughter of a Rebbe, previous Rebbe, granddaughter of a Rebbe, great granddaughter of a Rebbe, yeah. wife of a Rebbe. Um, so the Alter Rebbe was wisdom the Mittler Rebbe was uh, Bina, understanding Samotzedek was knowledge and the corresponding emotions the Alter Rebbe was Chesed the Mittler Rebbe was Gevura Samotzedek was compassion and then the Rebbe Marash was like Netzach the right foot going forward everything we learned about Netzach taking these ideas taking these abstract profound, subtle ideas of Hasidus and figuring out a way to break it down in a way that even we can understand it. Reach our level. You know, this was the world was becoming modernized and so to break it down in a way that we can understand these very deep, profound ideas. And then Hoyd, which was the Rebbe Rashab, fifth Lubavitcher Rebbe, called the Maimonides of Hasidus. He was able to classify everything and comprehensively organize Hasidus in a very profound way. The previous Lubavitcher Rebbe corresponded to the attribute of Yisoyed. The Rebbe's father, the previous Lubavitcher Rebbe, Yisoyed. 
he was the connector. And him and his generation, they were the connectors between the old and the shtetl to the modern, to our world. He came to America in 1940. So he grew up in the shtetl and he was the connector to that ancient world that disappeared, gone, destroyed. But he was the connector to take the essence of that world, the truths of that world. Of course, we can't recreate the ghetto, or we can't recreate the externals, but to recreate the essence, to transmit the essence of that world, its wisdom, its insights, its, its attributes, its characteristics, its truths, to transmit it into our modern world. That was the connecting generation. He was the connector. And it's that charisma, that connection, that desire, that love to give and to transmit everything that he had. And, and he wrote and he communicated and he shared and took that whole world that was close to us, we never experienced it, and put it all down and wrote it all down and transmitted it and conveyed it all, in all its richness and all its depth and all its truths conveyed it to us communicated it to us so we can take those values absorb those values of course there's no going back we can't recreate the shtetl but to recreate to create those true values those eternal values that are unchanging and unyielding and are true for all times and all places and he was that the one who conveyed connector from that old world to the modern world to connect these two worlds and to transmit that whole truth in, in all its richness undiluted in its entirety to our generation to us that's the Yisoyed and the Rebbe is Malchus the actual communication actual packaging the actual implementation making the sale this is all a preparation so you say making the pitch Malchus is getting the sale done getting the customer to hand over the money and to buy it and to but this is all going on before the sale this is all this all has to happen first you have the brilliant concept and then you have the love and then you have the practical working it out how, how much to give and how to convey it and how much what to withdraw and what, what the world could handle and can handle then comes the chemistry and the, the connection and then comes the actual sale that's Malchus but that we'll get to so the previous Rabbi and his generation this is the Yisoyit this is the connecting generation transmit all of those values and all of those truths and all of those depth even though externally it's like a different universe and that universe doesn't exist we can't pretend it does it doesn't but core things don't change he was the Yisoyed and Yisoyed is the connector this is the key ingredient this is the 
he was the one out of his love for the Kalal Yisrael, for the Jewish people, he was able to transmit such a tremendous love. He was able to transmit, to carry, to embody. Firstly, embody and personalize. Embody all these values and bring it to the new world, bring it to America. And transplant it in America. And he was able to convey and communicate it and teach it and share it with such love. He, he gave everything, deepest depth, most profound values and deepest depth that kept our ancestors going for thousands of years. He successfully was able to convey it and were able to absorb it and receive it. Out of his tremendous love for Jewish So we get an idea who the Rebbetzin was. This was her father <laughs> and her grandfather, the Rebbe Rashab. You know, the previous Rebbe, it says everything in this world is a, is a God-created uh, a balance. Good and evil have to be equally balanced. Every positive has a negative. Every plus has a minus. So in the previous Rebbe's generation, We've seen evil that the world has never seen since the creation of the world. On such a scope, on such a, such a depth of depravity, such a depth of evil, the world has never seen before. Hitler, Stalin. I mean, the world has never seen such evil before. On such a scale, a global scale. I mean, Stalin murdered 20 million of his own. Hitler, World War II, besides 6 million Jews and how many people died in World War II? 80 million people? I mean, it's just, it's just the evil that was done on such a broad, massive scale. The world has never seen anything like it before. Never happened. The level of heresy, the westernization and the abandonment of Yiddishkeit, the world has never seen such a scale. But God created this world in equal balance. So from the depth of their evil, you can get an inkling of the depth of the holiness of the previous Lubavitcher. Because he was the antidote. He was the balance. This was absolute evil, ambolic, that the world has never seen before on such a scale. And the previous Rebbe was the depth of holiness and purity and goodness and emes that was the counterbalance to Stalin and Hitler. So we can get some idea of a depth of holiness that the world has never seen before. And this holiness was riding down Eastern Parkway for 10 years, 1940 to 1950, right here in New York. This depth of holiness. That's how you can understand why the Rebbe was such a chassid of the previous Rebbe, his father-in-law. Because it takes one to know one to appreciate such depth of holiness such greatness that the world has never seen before. And with his daughter, the Rebbe's wife, a few months older than the Rebbe, so you can get a sense of who she was. Just to get an idea of who she was, just tell one story. You know, the Rebbe had two siblings, were three boys, Rabbi Levi Yitzchak and Han, Rabbi Tzachana, the Rebbe was the oldest, the firstborn. Then there was uh, Aryeh, Israel, Israel Aryeh Leib, and then there was Beryl. Beryl was killed by the Nazis. Israel Aryeh Leib, the Rebbe's only surviving brother, died very young in England, 19, 
53. The Rebbe's mother, the Rebbe's father died in, as a result of the, in exile in uh, 1944. And the Rebbe's mother, the Rebbe was reunited with his mother after not seeing her for 20 years. They were reunited. He went to Paris to bring her back to America and brought her to America. And she lived till 1965. Because she had such a tragic life, she lost her husband at a young age. She, she was separated from the Rebbe for 20 years. She lost her other son. The Rebbe felt it would just be too much for her to handle, for her to learn that she lost another child. I mean, she just, how much, how much tragedy could a person handle? So this was in 1953. So the Rebbe created a whole subterfuge. In those days, people didn't call. It was 1953. People wrote letters. <laughs> people they don't know what letters are. People used to write letters. Pen and paper, write letters, stamps, you know, <laughs> post office, you know, those things that still existed. And um, so the Rebbe learned his brother's handwriting and he set up a whole charade. He would write letters, send it to England, have one of the chassidim send it from England to his mother. And officially, ostensibly, she didn't know till she passed away in 1965 she was never officially told that her son passed away I'm sure she was a wise woman and I'm sure she figured it out but officially the charade went on for 12 years the Rebetzin as as the daughter-in-law the Rebbe asked her to go along with the charade and she once commented this gives us all the insight we need about who she was as a person. So, you know, he says, the hardest thing I ever did in my life was to be part of the charade. She was so truthful. She was so genuine. She was so sharply genuine. Every fiber of her being, every bone of her body screamed and yelled, how can I, how can I lie? I mean, what's this nonsense business of lying and pretending and someone didn't die she just couldn't she was so truthful that she it was just it was she, you imagine the hardest thing she ever did in her life she said was to go along with the charade but it tells you what kind of person she was so why did she go along with it no the Rebbe asked her her husband Simple asked her the, the Rebbe asked her the Rebbe asked her the Rebbe asked her it was but just to tell you, of, co- of course she did. Of course she did. Of course she did it. She understood, and intellectually she understood, and she did it. But it just—it just the fact that she said it was the hardest thing she ever did in her life tells you everything about what kind of person she was. You know, in the court case, during the court case of the books, the library. You know, when her nephew. Barry Gerari stole books from the library and tried to sell it. And there was a whole court case. Who does the library belong to? And he argues it was the previous Rebbe's personal library, and therefore he's an ear. He has a right to the books to do with it as he pleases. And the Rebbe argued, no, it belongs to the community. It doesn't belong. It's not a private thing. It belongs to the Rebbe. It belongs to the whole community. It belongs to the Jewish people. No one has a right to take these books. And it, was, uh, it, was, it went to the court, and uh, a non-Jewish judge, Judge Sifton, decided in favor of the Hasidim. But there was a deposition. They came to depose her, the rabbits. And they asked her, he says, do the books belong to the Hasid? Isn't it true that the books of the library belong to your father, previous Abba Rebbe? 
And she said, no. She says, not only don't, not only do the books belong to the Hasidim, he says, my father belonged to the Hasidim. My father, a Rebbe, his whole being belongs to the Hasidim, belongs to the Jewish people. This is the aside, the connection that the Rebbe has to the Hasidim. This is, this is it's personal, it's, 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 it's indescribable, it's beyond words, it's not just, it's a connection that's, every fiber of his being every bone of his body is connected there's a personal chemistry and connection it's like an intimacy uh, that's hard to explain but that's the Rebbe feels to every chassid to every Jew and it's that connection and the previous Rebbe was the ultimate connection for the Jewish people between the old world and the new world and he was the ultimate transmitter transmitted that whole world and all its secrets and all its depth and all its brilliance, dazzling brilliance and all its truths, all its values, he's transmitted it to us. And out of that love, we were able to absorb it and receive it, internalize it. And that's the key ingredient. Without that transmitter, without that transmission, it doesn't work. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.